0: Hi there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy Podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. Today I'm speaking with Gaj Ravi Chandra. He is an organizational psychologist, career mindset and peak performance coach, and a mental toughness expert. He splits his time between Sydney and Dubai helping a roster of international clients with everything from overcoming self-doubt and imposter syndrome to job search and interview skills. Mental toughness and resilience are his area of expertise. And today he brings us some of his top tips for tackling and maintaining change.
1: Hey, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Is it clear? Checking it's one, two, clear. two, yeah,
0: it's very clear. Check one, two, all the way from okay. Sydney. That's remarkable yeah. that I'm speaking to you all the way from <laughs> Sydney. And you split your time between Sydney and Dubai.
1: That's right. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, I really wanted to talk to you uh, about a number of things, but I noticed in your bio you talk about imposter syndrome, and I've been thinking about imposter syndrome a lot lately. I'll just tell you why. I took a, a A course to give a talk, like a a sort of a public speaking, how to craft a talk course. And this girl Mm. is out of LA. She works in the television industry, and she was saying that uh, we had calls with like some of the top TED speakers that she had coached, and they all said they had imposter syndrome. They said that they spoke to like astrophysicists who who also had imposter syndrome, who'd done TED talks of millions of people. And um, she said that when she speaks to people, um, when she does sales calls to do this course, that she said everyone has imposter syndrome except a very small fraction and she doesn't like to work with those people because she thinks there's something wrong with them <laughs> <laughs> so she was saying it's human syndrome and I wondered what you thought about that like it's something people talk about it like something we're not supposed to have but I don't know what's <laughs> yeah,
1: can I can tell you a funny experience I had recently so I was uh, on a uh, webinar and um, there on that webinar was a couple of lawyers and One of them was a lawyer that's doing space law, right? Something really unbelievable, like actually writing law for doing things in space. The other one was um, a finance, financial services lawyer. And I would have thought if either of those, if I was to pick one of them that was going to have imposter syndrome, it would be the one who was making up stuff about space, right? But no, it was um, the financial services one right? And I was really intrigued by that and why that was. Um, and when you looked into it, 70% of people um, around the world have experienced these, and I have I, I almost stopped calling them in, imposter syndrome. I call it imposter experiences, right? So the idea that we have these moments in our lives that don't necessarily cut across everything in our life, but they'll cut across certain aspects that result in us Uh, believing that we have this gap between where we need to be and where we are. And for me, what I find fascinating, Amory, is that that gap is the opportunity. That's the golden nugget for us, right? If we take that gap and say, well, what is it about this gap that actually terrifies us or that results in us procrastinating or stopping or, um, you know, not necessarily moving forward? Um, I mean, I have imposter syndrome. Coming into this podcast today, right? Okay. Um, you know, thinking how am I going to make sure I serve you and your audience, right? And so and I have
0: it every time I do a podcast, every time <laughs> I, more, I think I don't want to do, I don't want to do it. Maybe I just won't do it. Maybe we can move it.
1: <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? And I, I think it does tell us something really interesting about ourselves. For me, it reminds me about firstly humility and the openness to learn, and also to be present. And, and to kind of observe and watch what's happening around me. Because sometimes I find if I really think I know what I'm talking about, I'm motoring ahead and everyone's left behind. And th- there's that little trigger in me that sort of says, hang on, just, just slow down a little bit, just make sure that we've got everybody with us, right? And so, which is terrific. Yeah.
0: Is a big part of it uh, making assumptions about how other people feel and what their experience is like, which, How do you get around that? Because I found, you know, when I speak to people and they're honest, a lot of people feel this way. But can you speak to a little bit about the making assumptions about how everyone else is experiencing things?
1: Mm. A lot of that really comes back to the triggers that we have in our lives, right? And the anchors that we have created. Um, And sometimes I use like an analogy, like a boat, right? If we imagine, you know, we're on a boat or a nice yacht in the Mediterranean, right? And when we kind of put our anchor down, that anchor allows us to see the world in a particular, with a particular view, right? But over time, that view doesn't really change much, right? Because that anchor has kind of held us there. And so it's almost like a visual representation of taking that anchor up and going around another part of the cove or you know, the ocean or the sea and seeing what other perspectives are there. And, and that is a constant reminder, I think. That, is, that has to be something that we do, um, I think, very consciously. Um, to be able to do that. So, you know, going into situations and saying, well, you know, what I want to learn is, how are you feeling right now? Right? What's happening for you? Right? And actually being comfortable enough to ask that question, um, I I think is sometimes a challenge, because we don't know what we're going to get right on the end of that. Um, And so, you know, for me, it's, it's having some awareness of, Asking that question to let somebody in, right? And and to raise that um, knowledge for yourself. Um, I find that a lot of leaders at the moment, um, particularly with things like COVID, have really struggled uh, to open up that conversation because they're afraid of what they're going to get at the back end, you know? What will it mean for me as a leader? What am I going to have to change? How am I going to have to do things differently? Um, how am I going to serve this person when I've got all this pressure on me from above? I got to hit my P I got to make sure these people are retained. I've got to, you know, do all these other things. Um, and so that fear almost paralyzes us, right. To then even have that awareness or willingness. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. It
0: does. And then you have all these employees who are feeling completely disenfranchised and quitting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. We wonder why the great resignation is taking place. Right. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: And it, it, all, all it would take is but I mean that I think you speak to that it's almost like a fear of like if you ask maybe you're going to open up and you won't be able to handle what you get mm, do you mm. think that has to do with you know someone can be a leader but do you think that has to do with their comfort or how much does it have to do with their comfort with their own emotions do you think
1: yeah I mean I do find that it's it's quite challenging to accept the emotions of other people if we haven't tasted some of it ourselves, right? Um, It's a bit like when we put people into stressful situations, and we haven't done it before. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a bit like the blind leading the blind, right? And so that naturally is going to diminish our confidence and our capacity to to look at things differently. Um, And so absolutely, it has to that self leadership has to start, we've got to start with ourselves. Um, so a lot of the time that we spend on on coaching is really around self and and what am I doing to unearth these things? Uh, you know, I was talking to a therapist a couple of weeks ago, and you know, she's an adult therapist. She works with adults, and she said, "You know, i I've never actually, in all my years of therapy, sat down with an adult." And I said, "Well, hang on. I thought you only treat adults." He goes, no, "No, no, I'm always treating the child." Right. Uh, and it was a really interesting way for her to sort of make that suggestion that there's lots of things that a number of us need to deal with, probably all of us uh, need to deal with at some point. Uh, and we kind of kick it forward and we kick it forward and we don't necessarily get a chance to deal with it because we're all busy, right? It's, it's, that's, but actually making that time is so critical um, for dealing with things for today.
0: Yeah. Is that why people in their 40s start having so many emotional problems? Yeah.
1: yeah there seems to be a bit of a a, a crush right of all these things coming together at that time and whether that's an existential you know crisis that we face and we sort of starting to look at our own mortality and and the impact that we're having in the world absolutely I think you're right Amory these things all come together you know at that time but I think it's also we do need some time to create awareness for ourselves right and, and to be become more confident right to challenge those questions because let's face it it is uncomfortable sometimes right to ask ourselves these questions why do I behave like this with this person why is it that I've left a train wreck of relationships personal and professional in my life why is it that you know my, my parts of my family aren't communicating with me right I've been ostracized um, it's it can be difficult right to kind of have that relational that, that conversation with yourself
0: why do you um, think some people make the leap to do something about it. And some people can't.
1: Yeah, what a great question. Um, you know, I, One of the things that seems to come up is the perceived consequence of that. I don't know many people who, when they have a consequence, they know is gonna be great for them. And they can see that they've got a path to achieving it, that they don't go ahead necessarily and do it, right? Um, because the pros outweigh the cons and we, we all naturally make those decisions. But I think when the path is unclear, and I think when the outcomes are unclear, there's a destabilizing that takes place. And whenever we have destabilizing, I think over the last 18 months to two years, I mean, I think we've all experienced some element of destabilizing. right? Um, that then makes us drop back down Maslow's hierarchy, back down to basics of what we're trying to achieve. And so then our focus is very different. It's not about our social impact or self-actualization, whatever it might be, it's how do I survive? And the mindset of survival is very different, as we all know, to thriving. And so um, I think if we don't have a clear path and I think if the outcome is unclear, then we tend to avoid it. And so then it becomes easier to distract ourselves. That's what we do. And work's a great distraction, right? We just go and do stuff rather than thinking about it. And, and, and finding a way right? yeah
0: how do you speed up that process because i spent years in my 40s not having a clue where to start distracting myself with all sorts of things from work to exercise to drinking mm-hmm. on the weekend you know how do you yeah. speed up that process and save time that i wasted <laughs>
1: <laughs> what's the shortcut um That's so a- Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I I think if we use this as an analogy of life, basically, right, if you want to get better at anything um, or to be able to get some success, we need to firstly seek help, right? Um, And to seek help, there needs to be an awareness that there is something that I need to to work on. I I see that I could improve in some areas. Some people who genuinely don't want to improve, right? They actually feel they're pretty good, they're happy where they are, um, and regardless of what impact, positive or negative, they're having on the world around them, um, they will continue on their journey. Um, For others, I think that sense of seeking help, having a tribe, a group of people around you uh, that can actually point out things to you to, to raise your consciousness and your awareness is really important. We've got trained experts and access to people around us, um, you know, w- whether it's a coach or a psychologist or a therapist or whatever you you want to have um, that have the frameworks and the tools and the objectivity to be able to support you on that. Right. Um, so I think that seeking out help and having that awareness is probably, you know, sort of the first step. The second thing, which is probably the most challenging I think is, is the sense of commitment to that path because there are lots of uh, disablers right for us as we go through lots of blocks and challenges. And so if we have a path that's great, we've got some support that helps us, uh, but then knowing that at the end of this work that there's going to be something rewarding for us, why would I want to go and do this if I don't feel the outcome is worth it and all the effort is worth it? Mm-hmm. So that prize you know, in inverted commas, whatever that is, needs to be worth it for us. Right? So what is it actually going to be? If I want to go through this challenge, um, I need to make sure it's, it's, it's going to be valuable to me. So I think we need to have a path and then we need to understand what those disablers are going to be and to prepare for that. Because if we can do that and, and have a sense of why am I searching for what I'm searching for? What is the value intrinsically right? You know, in that? Um, that that's going to be able to drive us a little bit further. And if the prize is not worth it, we're not going to enter the lot we're going to enter the lottery right <laughs> yeah. so we, we need to believe right that there is something worth paying the price of admission and i think that's the part that we sometimes get stuck on that we're not sold in, in our own heads that it's worth the price of admission so we have to convince ourselves that it's worth it
0: what is the price what do you what do you what 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 would you sell people
1: there <laughs> yeah, well I mean the price is different right to everybody I, I was actually having a workshop the other day on what does success look like for people what does it mean when we say you want to be successful right and that's the part that is an individual journey that that's the part we have to work out is it about um, you know helping my community right to kind of rise and to to gain access to certain resources that Are going to help the people around us. Is it about helping my family? For some people, it's about survival. I just want to put food on the table for my family so that they can get through each week. Um, Is it about, um, you know, being able to take my organization from a startup, uh, you know, into a a unicorn over the next 10 years, right? I mean, so everyone's level of, firstly, what is success? And even more important than success, what, what is the fulfillment, right, that I'm trying to achieve? What is that going to look like? Mm-hmm. is very much linked to these values, these motivators, these drivers that we have in our lives. And I think um, that part is still unclear for a lot of people. And you know, if, if we don't know what's actually important to us from a values and motivation perspective, how are we going to go and achieve these things?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do we know what, what's the criteria for us, right? In terms of how we live and work and, and, and socialize and so forth. You know, I've listened to a number of people recently, and this, this is a big movement about, you know, you should wake up every day and do things that help you towards your goal. And if those things um, do not help you towards your goal, don't do it. Find something else that helps you. Right? That's great. And it's a bit like having a sage that goes and sits up on the top of the mountains or a mystic that just meditates and lives off air for, you know, 48 days, right? That helps an individual, but doesn't actually help a tribe or a community, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So, you know, I think we don't live in a vacuum. There needs to be some positive impact around us and for us to feel like there is some positive impact from what we do. That's why a job exists, right? Society has determined that that job needs to exist. That's why it's there. Um, So how do we understand that about ourselves and what's important about that? And there's a whole process around that, Yeah.
0: And you are a registered psychologist as well as a coach, which I think is interesting because there are a lot of coaches and more every day and shorter and shorter courses that you can take to become a coach. And I like it's concerning to me when I I see on social media that people I know in the UAE have become coaches in a short time who I don't maybe think should be coaches because I know things. About, I know them, you know, and what are you I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying too many people are becoming coaches and it's too easy yeah. to become a coach. And what concerns yeah. me is the same way, um, in the wellness world that there's sharks out there. And that when you reach out for help that you may be, reaching for a shark and someone who hasn't even you know, figured themselves out and is in it for the wrong reason. And this scares me a lot. Mm. So just sort of mm. when someone's lost or whether they're lost psychologically, whether they're just not sure in a leadership position, what, what, how can they be sure that they're reaching out to the right person?
1: Do you think? Yeah, I think it's a good question. There, there are a number of ways in which you can do that. The first is having some sort of referral system in place right usually it's a bit like when you go and you want to know what what's the best dermatologist that i should go and see right you normally go ask your friends or family or other people you know in a similar way you would usually go to people who've got a bit of a track record they've experienced some success they've helped people that you know Um, that can be a wonderful way to start the second thing is having a chemistry session with a coach is really important
0: okay
1: yeah so that is a half an hour to 40 seconds where you can actually uh, ask any question you want, right, of this coach. It's to understand what is the, what's the style that this coach has? What is some of the success that they've had in the past with people perhaps similar to you, right? Maybe in terms of age, culture, religion, background, whatever it might be. Um, now, sometimes coaches will even offer um, ex-coaches to you that you can talk to, ah. to learn from their own experience, Right. Um, So there are multiple ways. Now, the other thing, which as with any profession, as it becomes more professionalized, um, you start to see institutions and bodies appear that start to give some credibility and some minimum standards. So we're seeing these around. So you've got like the AOEC and ICF and certain places that have certain kind of standards. Now, just because you do a course obviously doesn't mean you're going to be a great coach, right? And so, again, that goes back to spending some time with them and understanding what they've done, even maybe relevant industries that they've worked in, right? Uh, You'll tend to find that people will start to specialize over time in certain areas. And so uh, it's important to to do that. But definitely having a chemistry session is a very valuable part. And I would say getting referrals is is the next piece of that.
0: What about that intersection between therapy and coaching? Because... I, that's something I think comes out if you think you wouldn't be comfortable going to a therapist, you might go to a coach, but maybe some therapy is required. How do people navigate that?
1: Yeah. So I guess if we look at therapy, therapy is about healing some of the wounds from the past, right? Things that have happened. Um, and, but coaching, is ten, it tends to be more forward looking, right? So they're actually different skill sets. Uh, And this is one of the reasons as a psychologist, I wanted to get into coaching. I wanted to blend, blend the two together, right? Because I do believe for people to move forward, there's a lot of things in the past that hold them back. And so we need to kind of combine those two things, but everyone's got a different approach to things. So a good coach, if they're not a therapist or a psychologist, whoever it might be in that chemistry session should be able to determine whether actually this is therapy or is it coaching? And so you should be able to find some sort of difference or connection uh, between them. And so then um, if you feel that there are some things in the past that you need to heal, um, I would suggest to be a little bit more selective about the coach that you have. And there are some coaches who are specifically trained in those areas. And you know that's wonderful. Look out for those qualifications and accreditations and what they've done. Um, just going and getting a random coach uh, that has done a qualification and you know expecting them to be able to look at things from the past isn't necessarily going to be due diligence from your side either right <laughs> okay. so we've got a responsibility in that okay. yeah
0: and heading into uh well just my last question I'll ask oh. is um when people come to you what's What's a common problem that you see, sort of almost a universal issue? And is there just one piece of advice you could give to start to tackle that?
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: Just one, just If I can answer
1: this, I'll, I'll set up a website on it. I, okay. Look, I, I think um, there's probably a few that come to mind, but I, I would say the, the main one right now is around um, sort of this concept of, of dealing with some of the the instability that's coming up in the world around them. And how do people compartmentalize in their own minds the destabilizing effect of the world that they can't control and the things that are in their control? And, you know, I've seen many leaders and, you know, we've been coaching a couple of billionaires who have struggled with this. They have been masters of their domain to achieve this kind of success, you know, from a financial perspective. And have forgotten that to do that, they actually had to feel in control of things. And all of a sudden, when COVID came along, they relinquished control, right? They kind of gave it up. And all of a sudden, they started feeling massively um, uh, anxious and and they socially withdrew and all sorts of things happened, right? So I I think that perception or that awareness of being present and understanding what is happening right now can make a massive difference. Um, to people. So uh, some people call it mindfulness. I, I think it's a little bit more than that. I think it, it is a little bit about um, being present and then ac- actually asking yourself the question, what is in my control? Okay. And what do I need to do next? And dialogue.
0: I like it. Yeah, that's it. Oh, I, I could talk to you all day, but this is uh, very, very helpful. And um, I hope we'll talk to you again. I hope, I hope because I really like your outlook. Yeah,
1: cool. Thank you so much. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thanks, everyone.
0: That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.